Hey Curiosos, Joe here. Just wanted to let you know that we've become a partner with Amazon.com. We've put up an affiliate link on our homepage to help you with all your online shopping needs. So if it's a tasty beverage, a crazy movie, an interesting book, go through our link. It doesn't cost you anything else, but we here at the Curioso do receive a small percentage of the sale, which in turn helps support this show. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. And on to the show. Curioso. A Curioso is someone who inquires in esoteric matters. A collector of knowledge. Curioso I'm Christopher Scarborough. And I'm Joe Taylor. And welcome to the Curioso Podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about something that most people have two of. Pies? Feet. Fito? Feet. No giddy? I have no clue what you're talking about. I said feet. Oh. How many languages <laughs> was that? Uh, Spanish, Japanese, and Russian. That sounds wonderful. All right. All right. So who do we have here today? We actually have a special guest. This is my buddy Jason. Jason, say hello. Hi there. Jason, tell me why we decided to bring you on the feet episode. Well, I happen to be a certified pet orthist, which is a clinical uh, foot and ankle specialist. I work in shoes, custom orthotics, ankle bracing, um, and fractured care. Okay. So a pet orthist does not mean you touch children's feet. No. <laughs> okay, just I'm just making sure that we have everything set and right. No, I do touch children's feet, but but I not touch a not, lot of not in that way, not in that way. Not in that way. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So, um I guess the first thing that we're going to talk and discuss about today, we're going to go through basically it's it's we're going to discuss feet and their disorders and diseases. Uh, any kind of problems having to do with feet, we're, we are going to discuss today. And the first one that we're going to talk about is, and uh, I, I, I don't even want to say this because I know Joe is already going to make fun of me, but the first thing that we're going to discuss is bungins. Just stop laughing, Joe. Stop laughing. God, I can't help Okay, so, I, you know, I really hate to start off with a tangent. Yes, I say ungin weird. I say bungin weird. It's just something that comes out of my face. It's not even a Baltimore accent. I know, I know. So I know. we're just going to get that right out of the way. Just we're going to try and... They're not going to giggle. Get out of yeah, system. get the sillies out. We're not going to giggle every time I say bungin'. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll stop okay. giggling. So, okay. Would it help if you called it Halix Valgus? Halix Valgus. Halix Valgus. That's the appropriate term for that. Okay. Okay. So... So, uh, so that is the the actual scientific name. Correct. That the 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 hallux is your essentially your big toe, but not the connector um, metatarsal. It's everything in front of that. Mm -hmm. So valgus would mean a displacement towards the midline of the foot. So hallux valgus is essentially just the big toe um, inverting or essentially turning towards the midline of the foot. Okay. So it, it turns that way. And uh, what I was reading in some of my research was that it's it's basically uh it, it turns that way and the, the the tissue around the joint can become inflamed and 
When it tends to be a progression. So usually it can be either one of two things. It's it's either congenital, so you're you're hereditarily disposed to it, or it can be brought on by by um, mechanics. And usually footwear is a big part of that. Mm. So so like a pointed toe shoe, right? Like like the elf shoes that Joe always wears. That could hey, there's plenty of room for my toes. In I, those shoes. I don't know. They look bunginlicious. They're road kickers, but. <laughs> There's plenty of room. Okay. Well, Joe, right. what I'd like you to do is, is when they take your foot and just put your forefoot on a piece of paper and trace it, mm-hmm. and then take that same shoe and trace right over top of your foot, and you're going to see how much your toes are getting crammed together in that shoe. Right. And on average, the average person's foot, when they stand up, it gets one or two times bigger right. because of the downward pressure, right? Correct. We call that elongation. So you're going between a, a shoe size to two shoe sizes longer, right. um, just based off the dispersion of the weight across the mm-hmm. across the, the bones. Okay. But yeah. then the difference between like uh, a flat pointed shoe, like, like the ones that I like to wear, and a high heel, there's downward pressure. That is true. When you put a heel on a shoe, I think it's somewhere... Uh, upwards of like 70% more weight being transferred onto the forefoot. I'm not sure about that number, but it, it rings in my head for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, yeah, so essentially the higher you put your heel up, you're pushing more more towards the toe, towards the toe box. That's correct. Gotcha. So that's why you'll see a woman who 20, 30 years old, their feet look fantastic, but 60, 70, after wearing high heel shoes for that long, they'll... Well, they'll be in to see me. So, Jason, I have a question for you, and I know mm-hmm. this, you know, I, I want to move on, but I want to ask this first. How about like skater shoes you know the very very flat soled shoes that Mm -hmm. don't you know yeah chucks or vans or something Mm -hmm. like that 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 just don't give a lot of support are they can they cause problems like high heels do but in a different way the way that i look at every patient is every foot is different so depending on the foot type that you have certain shoes will work better for you than others along those lines if if you have a real rigid foot that doesn't have a lot of ability to absorb shock then the shoe usually is what we use to try to absorb some of the shock. So uh, skater shoe is something that doesn't have a whole lot of um, stiffness to the sole. It's going to be right. kind of adverse in that case. Right. On the other hand, if you have a real mobile foot or arthritis in a joint, uh, it's usually better to go with a, a stiffer sole shoe to try to keep some of that impact from coming up into the foot what? and, and jarring the bone structure. What's a mobile foot? Well, this... Because that's kind of a... <laughs> let's, shouldn't they be mobile? Most feet are mobile, right? <laughs> well, yes. And it, no pun intended with that. Um, <laughs> mobile feet would be basically a foot can be three things. Either you have a completely healthy foot, you can have a hypermobile foot where there's not the ability for the foot to restrain its range of motion, which can be very detrimental. And then you can have a rigid foot, which is just the opposite. The foot doesn't have enough range of motion, which in my opinion is probably the worst case scenario. Um, so when I talk about mobile feet, that's what I'm referring to is okay. usually just the, the range of motion. The ability for the toes to curl up towards your shin or, or curl back down. Well, you should be able to have some kind of range of motion there. If you don't really have much, that's that your, your foot is not correct not properly aligned or you're talking about one of 55 articulations in the foot. So in those, in those terms, you want to see that the main articulations would be up and down flexion of the foot, making sure you have enough of that. Um, alignment of the foot from side to side, so you're not either adducting or coming towards the midline of the body or abduct, abducting too much. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then rotation, internal rotation of the foot, which would be either a high foot or a flat foot, basically. Okay. So any one of those articulations, usually the three measurements we use to try to determine how much mobility is in a foot. Okay. I mean, well, and then there's the, the figure is 26 bones, 33 joints, 107 ligaments, and 19 muscles and tendons in one foot. Correct. And in 26 bones, that's a point of contention because there's actually two little bones that are underneath your first metatarsal head called sesamoid bones, and they're basically pea-sized bones, and they sit inside of a ligament, and they help to stabilize that first metatarsal head. The first metatarsal head is basically the, where the ball of your foot sits, the first toe, and that, that, um, that particular joint is kind of the key for mobility because of the importance, how much weight gets applied to it, okay. how much it helps in the propulsion. So those sesamoid bones, some people include them in the totals for feet. I usually do, but other people don't. Right, right. They're kind of uh, small enough that they get overlooked. Okay, so uh, I guess I wanted I wanted to ask you about corns. Mm -hmm. So corns are right, the little snacky things you get the gas station. <laughs> not corn nuts. Oh, not corn nuts. So, uh, but corn. Okay, so corns. That's like a callus of dead skin, and it's basically somewhere on your foot where. You get like a like a like a spiraling kind of motion, and it creates like a big callus. Uh, essentially, yes, but you can have two types of corns. There's uh, hard corns and soft corns, and hard corns would be more along the lines of a callus formation. Soft corns are usually in between toes, and it's when you have digits that tend to rub together because of the sweat or the um, the friction between those toes. There's not a lot of air getting in there, mm -hmm. so throughout the day, those soft corns will tend to. Um, not get a lot of breathability, so they break down, but they're not going to be the same point as uh, like a callus formation, which we kind of use in pet orthics as a way to map a foot. When you're looking at a patient's foot and doing an uh, initial examination, they can give you a really good idea about how the patient walks, where they're bearing their weight, what kind of problems you're looking at, whether it's um, a toe that's sitting a little bit too far down and is taking too much weight, if it's rubbing against the side of the foot or the top of the, the shoe, mm -hmm. um, all those things can kind of be our guides as to what's going on. But it's okay. normal to have a callus, say like on the on the, uh, the the inside of your big toe. Most people have a callus there, don't they? No, not most people. Really? That's usually that's a, a sign in most cases of a flat foot. That's called a pinched callus. And what happens in a flat foot, you're your forefoot tends to ad abduct, which means it's going to push away from the midline. The more it pushes away, the more you're going to tend to walk off the inside of that big toe, and that'll pinch that skin and cause the pinch callus. You so, guys can't see this, but Jason is actually motioning with his hand <laughs> to show direction of the foot. So, so say if you if you were someone, not I mean just hypothetically someone that walked like a duck, mm -hmm. you would have a larger callus you probably on, have a on the big. big on the, okay, we'll, we'll discuss that later. Yeah, we'll we'll yeah, keep we that one for later. We'll get in that. <laughs> so, but, okay, so three out of four Americans uh, will experience some sort of foot health issue at some point in their life. Correct. Right? That is correct. That's a huge statistic. That's, it's that's job security for me. Well, I got to imagine with the, the gaining weight problem that the that, that, oh, yeah. that United States is having that it's probably getting worse. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Baby boomers, the population of people that are getting older and... Um, uh, just uh, not really paying attention to their feet throughout their life is now they're now paying the price for those um, for that overlooking. Um, it, it's one of those things where we we see it so much in the office you don't really notice it, but the the numbers are kind of staggering when you just step back and look at them. Absolutely, right, right. So, um, how about athletes' foot? I, I mean, I, I, do you do you get patients with athletes' foot all and, the time? I mean, is it is that 
that's not really something that you necessarily treat, but I mean, you could definitely, uh, I mean, it's, it's, what is it? It's a, a fungal infection. I mean, you can get it from, you can get it from, yeah, you can get it from like poles. You can get it from, uh, like showers and it's like a itching, burning, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, like a terrible thing. I mean, I've never had it. I've never had it, but have you? Sure, me too. I run all the time. I'm constantly sweaty. Really? So, you know, and you just spray a little tough actin on there and it goes away and that's it. Yeah, and, you know, a month or so, no big deal, but, you know, it's changing your socks and if your shoes get, like, soaked in, in, like, river water, which I've done that before too, um, and you're hiking down the trail or whatever, you're going to get, you know, swamp foot or foot rot or what they used to call it in, in Vietnam. Right. But for me, Leisure. athlete's foot in my clinic is so common that I don't even pay any, any form of attention really? to it. Really? Right? Do you uh, you have to wear like protective gloves when you... Well, I choose to wear protective gloves. It was never put on me that I had to wear them. For the first few years, I didn't. But as I would start to deal with more and more uh, feet, I, I figured it's probably a good idea <laughs> right. for me to start wearing the gloves. So yes, every time I see a foot now... I will put on a pair of gloves. I, I absolutely, I absolutely understand. So, what about? Um, okay, so one of the things that I, I researched and I, w- I was looking up was was hammer toes, mm-hmm. and and but there's not just ha- I mean it's like every part of the hammer. Stop. You have hammer toes. <laughs> <laughs> you have hammer toes, mallet toes, claw toe. Mm-hmm. I mean they're all basically the same kind of thing, but they right. they are usually with different toes and so each toe can get well it's displacement on the joint whether it's the distal the interphalangeal or the proximal joint whichever one of those is um is where the displacement's happening that's how they determine whether it's a mallet toe um a hammer toe or a claw toe so really depend the the place where it's i mean it's a swelling but what what else happens? Well, essentially what it happens is one you have two types of tendons, or two tendons that sit on the, either the top or bottom of the foot. You have your flexor tendons and your extensor tendons. So when there's an imbalance between those tendons, whether it's the extensors or the flexors, one of them's going to pull harder and the other one's going to be slack. And that's where you get that recession or restriction on the joint. Okay, because that's what I was seeing was that it, like it's bent in position and the muscles shorten. Correct. Is what I was reading. So, so you could get this also from wearing high-heeled shoes, uh, that kind of thing. Right. If your shoes are too too small and you're crammed up against the front of the the shoe, that's going to recess your toes. And if you're in that position for long enough, usually the muscles will constrict a little bit and pull those tendons back, and then you end up with that deformity. And so, gotcha. does over that time, over time it just right? Okay. But and, once again, that can also be hereditary. Okay, and do you have to get surgery to have that fixed, or can you fix that with pen? No, pen unfortunately, you can do what they call boot and splints, which is essentially a pad with a, a uh, elastic strap that'll tie onto two toes and pull those pull toes down. Pull it in the opposite direction. Oh, wow. But it's a temporary solution. It's like wearing eyeglasses. It'll work when you're wearing it, but your toes are going to go right back to where they were. When gotcha. You okay. Okay. So surgery usually is the best correction for those. Mm-hmm. All right, so when I was a kid... I was walking through my grandfather's yard and I stepped on a thorn off of one of the, I think it was off, probably off of one of his, his rose bushes or something. And it it got shot up into my, my, my heel. And, uh, within, I think three months I had a crazy wart. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, I was a kid, I was like maybe, you know, nine or 10 years old. Mm -hmm. 
So I didn't realize that I was walking strange, but I was walking barefoot one day and my mom asked me, she said, why are you, why are you walking like that? With Why are you not putting your heel down? Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't know. I have this thing on the bottom of my foot. And, and she took a look at it and, 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 and what I actually had was a planner's wart. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what it was. I mean, I was a kid back then, but eventually I wound up having surgery and they cut it out pulled that sucker right out of the bottom of my foot mm-hmm. and she said it looked like a carrot when they pulled it out with little extensions coming out of the tip so so I, so, I mean that that's it's like a virus right i mean you can get a correct. virus it's a virus that usually it'll happen in your case with a with a, some form of broken skin whether you have a cut on your foot you're walking around the gym barefooted um, the virus will get into the foot and then you end up having to have a surgery to get it removed unfortunately i don't don't envy you at all yeah. it's oh, a painful yeah. painful yeah. Um, I don't, I don't really remember it too much, you know. I just remember having to put my foot out of the bathtub to take take a bath, you know. But right. um, so I, you know, just I I do I I don't have any scars or anything because it's on my heel, I think, mm-hmm. you know. Correct. But uh, but yeah, I just it was one of the things that I have, and I, you know, I, I just kind of keep my memory there. Well, I was going to say if if you take your case, Chris, and imagine your planner's wart and how you had to kind of walk differently or shift your weight to, mm-hmm. to offload the pressure from that spot. Imagine a condition where you couldn't have any kind of resolution so you're stuck in that position your whole life where you're starting to deviate from the norm that's a chronic and disabling condition and when it goes over so much time that can really have a lot of adverse effects on the foot so you're talking 20 30 years of walking with your foot in an inclined position or a recessed position Mm -hmm. and now you're really starting to see um, deviations from the norm and that's when you come in to see me it's rare that we see in the clinic a very healthy foot so when I do see him, I'm very, I'm, I'm excited, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm much more in line with seeing the, the bad stuff. Well, right. what you were talking about with the, 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 uh, the incline of the foot, I mean, the, another thing that I, was, I, I read about was the heel spur, mm-hmm. and that's another reason why you would be kind of stuck with that inverted position. It's... Well, it can help out with if, if you can take the load off a heel spur. Unfortunately, heel spurs are, calcaneal spurs are a projection of bone off of your heel, and it's a real common condition that comes with uh, plantar fasciitis, which is also a, a pretty common thing that we see in the clinic. Well, what is, hold on, explain to me what plantar, plantar fasciitis, fasciitis. Okay. is. that different than a plantar's wart? Yes, certainly is a planner. Well, a pl- pl- planner is the ju- just a word for is the that... bottom of the foot. Oh, correct. Is okay. planner. Gotcha. So you have the planner, which is the bottom of the foot, and then the top of the foot is what the, the dor- dorsal, the dorsal, just like yep. a dorsal fin on a fish, okay. is the top of your foot. Gotcha. So yeah, when we refer to anything on the planner surface, that would be the bottom of the foot. The dorsum would be the top of the foot, like you said. Planner fasciitis. Essentially, you have a um, something that sets us apart from apes is. Uh, what they call the plantar aponeurosis, which is a tight band of um, fibrous tissue that runs from your heel bone up to the five digits in your feet. Mm -hmm. Um, That plantar aponeurosis can become constricted. Um, It helps to give us propulsion. It's a good thing in our our cases that helps us to propel and be able to run, kind of one of the keys for human locomotion. Unfortunately, um, in some patients that can come really inflamed and it can be either through mechanical um, issues, footwear, um, a bunch of different reasons. Essentially what happens with the plantar apneurosis and and a calcaneal spur, that tugging on the insertion point at your heel bone will cause that heel bone to start to create a bony projection, which will Uh. then turn into a spur. And that spur can be pretty sensitive. So, so it's just like how the planter's wart is going into the bottom of your foot, the 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 heel spur or, or mm-hmm. the, the calcium. It's a calcium spur that mm-hmm. grows off of your foot. Right. So that's tighter as the leg might. Exactly. Right. That's right. that's coming out. Very good. Starting to come right. out. 
from, from your bone, right. which is and like you start favoring that foot because it, it hurts every time mm-hmm. you put pressure on that 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 point. Uh-huh. And then eventually the alien pops out. Right. <laughs> right. Is that how it works? Right. Okay. Yeah. Now, so what, what you were talking about with the with the the <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry. On the planner, uh, you said that there was a, a tendon that runs along your foot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now you were talking about that getting inflamed. They call like they call that policeman's heel. Is oh, that I, that I, is? I've never heard that term. Yeah, but they, I would it's, imagine it's, they call it policeman's heel. And I think because of walking the beat so much, they would they would get that exact problem where it, it would. I mean, it would just like every morning when they would go to get up in the first few steps would be terrible. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was like one of the one of the ways that they because they walked the beat so much mm-hmm. that right. I think it just started to wear that out and inflame it. And, well, and their their shoes were not that great back then. Right. What happens at nighttime, and the reason you'll see this happen either in plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendonitis, we all have a tendency for our toes to kind of drop and point forward. Mm-hmm. If you imagine the bottom of your foot, that'll kind of recess that plantar fascia. And then when you wake up in the morning, it's not stretched out. It's not ready to be walked on. So your first few steps are going to be painful. Gotcha. Same thing with the Achilles tendon. If your foot's down and, uh, and kind of pointed forward, that Achilles tendon is going to constrict and you'll get the same sensation. So when we're in the clinic, that's one of the first ways you're able to diagnose those two um, conditions is uh, it's very painful when you're up walking after a long period of rest, whether it's nighttime or just sitting on the couch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, along with your bone spur, you were saying how it's kind of an offshoot. If, if you think about microtrauma on, on any point in the foot that has a tendon insertion, whether it's a bunion, a calcaneal spur, um, pressure or an exostosis, which is a bony projection off the top of the foot. Mm-hmm. Those are all usually... You get a bony projection yeah. coming off the top of your mm-hmm. foot? It's called a dorsal wow. exostosis, and it basically is just... It's like having a shark fin? Yeah, but it's wow. bone. So microtrauma over time will cause the bone to recreate itself and kind of um, build back up. So that's why a bunion, not only will you see the displacement on the foot or on the toe, but you'll see a big bulge on the side. That's all bone. It's all osseous formation. It's also the same reason. And you actually have to have that removed to to go back in the What they do for a bunion is they'll take that ossification and cut a wedge in it, like a triangle-shaped wedge, and then pull that toe back straight and drive a screw right down the center of it so it lines itself. And that then, sounds hmm. absolutely terrible. It yeah. is pretty terrible. This doesn't sound fun at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty terrible. You have to be in a walking boot for quite a while from that one. All right, so speaking of the nail in the foot, when I was like 14, 15, uh, I was helping a neighbor uh, get some stuff off of her roof, and uh, some old planks on, on the ground were, were making this big pile of trash, and I jumped off the roof, and I think I was wearing chucks, and well, not off the roof, but I jumped we all off the, we all did. That I jumped thing. off the ladder, like the you know the third or the fourth rung to the bottom, you know, being a stupid kid, right onto a nail. Ah, straight through my foot, all the way through. Yeah, from, straight from the planter side to the dorsal side. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> from I, the big toe to that next little toe next to the big toe, mm-hmm. that little chunk of skin right in between there, mm-hmm. straight through there. Didn't hit anything. I mean, it, it bled like a stuck pig. Right. And um, was it rusty? No, no. It was. It was, was a it clean, galvanized, you... you know, clean nail. Yeah. yeah of yeah. course. I, you get a tetanus I, shot. I poured a bunch of junk on it, and you know, spit <laughs> I, on I it. I poured a forty on it. That was good <laughs> for my homies. <laughs> but for my toesies. Yeah, but there's nothing. There's no scar on the underside, mm-hmm. on the, the planter side. Mm-hmm. But right there, this little teeny tiny dimple from when I. Hold this, the the nail out. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. The the 
the skin on the bottom side of the foot or the dorsum of the foot, sorry, the plantar surface of the foot is usually about two centimeters thick, mm-hmm. uh, especially right there at the heel. And it is um, so used to trauma that it w- will regenerate very quickly. Oh, yeah. So as opposed to the dorsum of the foot where you're not getting, you know, you, you're not walking on it. Yeah, it's right. Like so your hands, yeah. Exactly. So the yeah. scar tissue is going to be there a lot longer than it will be on the bottom side of the foot. Yeah, yeah. So flat feet. What's the deal with flat feet? What's the deal with flat feet? What's the deal with flat feet? <laughs> well, no, I mean, you always hear, like, jokes about, like, you know, uh, during World War II that you you couldn't get into, you know, the Army because of flat feet or something like that. Right. But or you're I, crazy. Yeah, yeah. But, right. I, I mean, I heard that, like, 20% of, of, of people have flat feet. Now, is, there, is that fallen arches? Is mm-hmm. that what that is? Well, essentially, yes. But um, there's one form of flat feet that is that is not detrimental in, in the sense that you're born that way and you have perfectly natural function and that's only seen in the african-american population mm-hmm. if you see a flat foot um that doesn't fit that 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 paradigm or that norm then you get to, into mechanical issues and it's not so much that it's just oh your arch has fallen there's usually a couple things that are happening at the same time um, and it all has to do with positioning so you have your heel bone will tend to push to the outside or um, evert. Your mid-tarsal joints or the interior of your foot is going to start to push inwards and collapse. And then the forefoot will start to abduct again. I'm doing the hand motions. Yeah, yeah um, hand motions again. <laughs> so we look at it from that aspect. We're trying to basically take the foot and try to bring that arch back. Right. A lot of times you're not going to see a problem with a fallen arch in the sense that it's not painful. Mm. So people will go throughout most of their lives without any real pain. Maybe some um, adverse effects up through the chain of kinetics. So the knees, the hips, and the lower back right, right. will see it. Um, but the foot and ankle themselves usually don't. Um, that is up until you're about 60 or 70 years old and what they call the posterior tibial tendon um, starts to take a lot of beating. And the mm-hmm. posterior tibial tendon, if you reach down on your foot and you feel the interior side of your foot, not your ankle or bone. where the arch is, right? Right, right where the okay. arch is. There's a small little bone there that you'll feel kind of right at the, at the key of the arch. And that is called the navicular bone. Right on that navicular bone is the, is the insertion point for your posterior tibial tendon. Now, if you imagine a rubber band that you're stretching over time and you keep doing the same stretch on it, that rubber band is going to eventually lose its elasticity and become subject to rupture. Mm-hmm. If The problem with the posterior tibial tendon follows that same line. If that tendon is stretched over and over and over and over, by the time you get to be an older person, it's subject to rupture. If that posterior tibial tendon ruptures, your foot will really start to um, deform because then the other tendons in the foot start to become subject to rupture as well. So it's like a domino effect. Right, right. So in that sense, a fallen arch is is important to try to prevent or keep the stress off that posterior tibial tendon. And that's usually the main main diagnosis that we see in, in as a pet orthist outside of diabetes, um, fallen arches. And our goal is really just to boost that arch back up and keep the stress off that posterior tibial tendon. But there's there's also a, uh, a, a, a there's so, something completely it's it's the exact opposite of that which is the high arches mm-hmm. or what is that called what is what is the well the fallen arch is called a pronated foot or pronation is occurring in the foot uh, a high arch foot is called um, a cavoverus foot or a supinated foot um, in my opinion that's the worst or, well the one of the worst things you can have I have a different a pes cavus pes cavus yes pes cavus mm-hmm. yep. Um, what that means is you, basically it has to be the foot. Cavus is the, the, the positioning of the foot. So a cavus foot is a high arch foot. They tend to be a real rigid bone structure. And um, when it comes to impact or shock, shock absorption, that's one of the main things that the feet do is to absorb 
shock when you're walking. Yeah, yeah. So when, if, if you have a rigid foot that can't adapt or um, kind of go into a more mobile position, then the bone structure tends to be jarred. And then you see issues with osteoarthritis and gotcha. that kind of thing, degeneration in the joints. So is the, the, the pes cavus, the, the, the high instep, is, is that, does that happen from, uh, from genetics or is that something that can actually happen to you because of where high heel shoes or? No, that typically is genetics. Um, the, the, the flat foot can be acquired as an adult um, from uh, footwear activities, but the, the cable varus foot or the, the high arch foot tends to be something that you're born with. And it can actually be a sign if you start to see restrictions where it's really starting to become higher and higher, it can be a sign of a neurological de deficit called um, uh, Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease, huh. which is um, almost like a mild version of muscular dystrophy. It's a degeneration of the muscular tissue. So the tendons will all tend to constrict. You'll uh, see a claw toe formation and then a real high arch. And wow. that's kind of one of the first um, signs that that's happening. Hmm. So uh, because the, most of the pictures that I saw about the the pes cavus foot it looked very much like the pictures that i've seen of the the the, the foot binding mm -hmm. that's kind of what it looked like to me right and right. i mean i know that so you said that that's genetic but the foot binding is definitely not genetic but i mean they no. look very very similar right so uh, you know so what it, it was a, a japanese tradition yeah during the 10th century in china um, it was known as golden lotus or lily toes. And what they would do, they would actually bind the, the, the toes and the, the, the front part of the foot and slowly over months or years tighten those bindings, you know, and the wrappings. So what happened was that from the pinky toe to the big toe, they would slowly curl them, like making a fist. Mm -hmm. That's what they would do to people's toes. So the toes would actually be on the underside of the foot. Yes, and eventually the bones would break and then fuse back together over over time. And you're left with a three-inch, four-inch foot and stump and, thing. And, and that was all because that was the rage at the time? That was what was considered small. beautiful with small feet? Yep, an emperor... Uh, remarked about, you know, one of his servants, you know, who was also, I guess, a dancer in the court, mm -hmm. um, that she had very tiny toes or very tiny feet. And um, so it just started to snowball into this effect of, you know, women all had to have small feet. And then... The yeah. things people would do for beauty. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> fashion's painful, buddy. <laughs> so, Jason, have you ever uh, have you ever seen uh, someone come in with a Japanese foot binding? <laughs> no, I have not. I, no. If I, 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 if I, you, I never if do. you did, what would you do for them? Oh, I would tell them they're in the wrong place and go see a surgeon. <laughs> right. or, you know, <laughs> yeah, most of out of my stuff, out of my range. I think the last. Um, uh, Chinese women that, that ha still had that uh, were in their 90s by the 70s. Mm -hmm. And it was it was outlawed. It, yeah. Too well, sweet. It should be. You yeah. know, <laughs> as soon as the uh, you know rest of the world was like, what what is this weird, crazy, you know, uh, pig foot thing you're doing here? <laughs> and they, they called a stop to it. So that's... that's... Mm. So one of the other crazy things I've seen with feet is syndactyly? Is that 
Yeah. Am I am I saying that right? I I get my pronunciations. They're terrible. Yeah. So I always have to ask. So uh, that is webbed toes. Yes, it is. Web toes. Web toes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're not very common, but you do see them every now and then. And when you do, you'll see them right away. They're very presentable. Well, I have here. It's it, it's one in every two thousand to two hundred and fifty thousand births or mm-hmm. people. Right. Which I mean, that seems I mean fairly common for something you know. Yeah, but it can be just two toes. It can be all five toes. It can be a very you know minute amount of skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's webbed, it, it, or the whole, or the whole two toes fused together. Correct. Right. Right. So, but that's that is not that is not the bone being fused. Correct. No, that is only skin. the skin. Correct. Yes. So it's just something where they when when you're born they're too close together. Yeah. And, yeah. Something in the genes is like let's not split apart. Let's hang out together. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So what do you what do you have to do for somebody that has a problem like that? With us, we're our basic thing to try to do is accommodate in that place or that that case. Basically, try to alleviate some of the pressures that are probably being applied to those two toes. Um, if you think about your fingers, if they are all separated, you can work them independently. But if, if they're fused together, you're going to have to kind of use them for everything you do, grasping. Um, the same holding. thing you would think about, like if you had broken a finger and you, you have to splint it or something like right. that. Mm-hmm. That's, tape it, that's, right. But that's how they are naturally. So you don't get that range of motion with the two toes being able to move and, and being able to walk Independent, properly. correct. So now you're going to apply um, a lot more force over those two toes. So in our sense, what we try to do is just try to accommodate that as best we can, whether it's through modifications of the shoes, a good pair of orthotics with a toe crest or something along those lines. That's been what I've done in the past. But there, um, is, there is most of the time probably some kind of surgery option. I would think so. I'm not 100% on that, but I would think yeah. there is. Speaking on the, the, the web toes and range of motion with toes, what's your take on... I, I, I bought a pair of uh, five-finger, mm-hmm. um, like, Vibram um, Like the running Skilla shoes. toes or whatever they are? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, the reason I got them was because I, I trail run all the time. I love it. I was told that you've got more range of motion with your toes so they get basically, you know, used more for the, the muscles and, and things like that. It's because when you're when you're in a shoe, all your toes are close together and, and you're kind of used to that, that sort of motion and when they're separated, you can feel every toe independently. You could probably have maybe more balance. That's what they say. I mean, it's yeah. a lot harder to, to run in those mm-hmm. when you first start out running in them because your, your feet are not used to doing that yeah. at all. Um, you wear shoes 90% of the time, mm-hmm. that, you know, toes close. So as in your profession, what do you think about that, that sort of thing? That's actually a question I get a lot. And I, the, it all comes back to when we were talking about the types of feet. Mm-hmm. If you have a, a very healthy foot and you're capable of wearing a shoe like that, by all means, if it's doing the trick, go for it. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people that we see aren't that that patient. So our, our recommendation for the most part is to try to shy away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had horror stories about patients that have been, you know, relatively healthy going in, buying a pair of those shoes. And then three, four months down the road, they're seeing us for a variety of different issues. And it's right. all due to the foot's inability to adapt. Um, right. To but it's, it's a slow process. Right. I didn't go right out on the trail with those things. Mm-hmm. I started out, you know, on a path, on, on pavement, because I knew the muscles in my feet are not nearly as strong to take trails where mm-hmm. I can do that in my trail running shoes. Mm-hmm. I can blaze through a trail no problem, 
But with those things, I knew I couldn't do it. So I had to start off slow. Right. It took me like a month or two before I felt comfortable enough to do that. You would be one of my favorite patients because you actually went about it the right way as right. far as breaking it in. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's orthotic shoes, a brace, we always tell you to start off light and build up. And mm-hmm. it's the same reason you just said. you got to get everything used yeah, to. Yeah, every, every muscle in your body, you have to work your way up to a certain point. And Correct. then to the next level, then to the next level. So, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, opinion on them, I don't think I would be able to tolerate them. I don't think most of the people that we see would. But there's certain right. people out there that do. Right. Absolutely. Okay. All right, cool. So my act, the Scarred and Dangerous Thrill Show, I'm only one half of. The other half is Dangerous D. He's currently living in California, and he's going to call in from time to time to give you his two cents about all of our topics here on The Curioso. Now, all dangers considered, a moment with Dangerous D. Feet, huh? You had to pick feet. Well, um, in my opinion, feet are just like a weird, gross, and anatomically awkward thing. Uh, I could use this time to explain my crippling trials and tribulations about living with a planner's ward on the ball of my foot for like, I don't know, three years and counting now, but I'd rather use this time to tell you how feet can make or break a certain situation. Well, I was, um, I was at my place one night about to get naked with a cute little chippy, you know, about to get down, do a little scotch, but uh, she took her socks off, and when I looked down, it looked like, for real, it looked like this had been running through the jungle barefoot, climbing trees and scaling walls and before she came over. I actually heard her talons hitting the hardwood floor. Well, I'll leave that where it is. I mean, goddamn, clean your feet. So, there's a a Mexican restaurant that I I go to fairly Mm -hmm. frequently because they're delicious and cheap. (laughs) And one of the waiters there has a... He he wears... um, uh, the sneakers with the Velcro on them, and uh, his left foot points straight, and his right foot points backwards. What? What is that? Ooh, that was probably... Oof. Is that an accident? Maybe a, like a... Uh, it could be. It could be um, untreated club foot, although I don't think it would revert all the way back. You don't think it would? Because wow. I, I read that a club foot is basically like a rotated ankle. Mm-hmm. So there's the bilateral, mm-hmm. which both feet are turned, mm-hmm. and it happens like one in every 1,000 births. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about club foot. Club feet, you, you'll know right off the bat when a child is born with club feet. The soles of the foot. Not that kind of club. Not that kind of club. The soles of the foot will be actually facing upwards or almost in the position where they, um, they touch together. Um, and then you also get a little bit of inversion on the foot. So it's facing kind of back up and in. Now, is that genetic or is that just happened because of the way the baby sits in the, in the womb? Interuterine positioning was thought to be part of it, but they're leaning, I think, more and more towards genetics. 
And they're actually finding that uh, women's propensity to smoke during birth can uh, increase that chance 20-fold. So, wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. Hear that, ladies? Don't, yeah. yeah, don't smoke during birth or during pregnancy. I also Wait heard that it, that it, <laughs> that it, um, that it happens way more in men than it does in women. It does. It's more common in boys than than, than girls. The way that you go around uh, reversing that, it's a it's a serial casting technique. So essentially, they'll put a cast on the foot, leave it in that position for a short span of time, cut that cast off, push it over a little bit further, set a new cast, and you keep doing that over the course of the first few months of of, of um, living. And then from there, they'll shift you into what they call a Dennis Brown bar, which is um, a bar that sits between your feet that's connected to a pair of shoes and you wear those shoes pretty much 24 7 and what that bar does is keep the feet from pushing back in and and going back into that club foot position so it really has to be done as the child is born and then as he continues to grow Mm -hmm. the bones grow so they they grow into the correct position right usually successful treatment will end up about the age of four years old and that's when they'll take that dennis brown bar off um, occasionally at that point they'll still have to do a surgical technique to get them back to normal but mm-hmm. most of the time it's a reversible process right right now that also is in, there's something similar called um, calcaneal varus or valgus calcaneal valgus which is essentially a child is born with the dorsum of their foot touching their shin bone so their heel ah. bone is down they're all the way back and touching and um, that is usually reversible on its own. It doesn't, uh, maybe a little bit of stretching um, type therapy, but it will. Like a physical therapy with it. Right, correct. So they'll go through and just kind of do static stretching. Is that huh. is that called a pig leg? No, calcaneal valgus. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just checking out. Okay. So, uh, so have you seen a lot of just like, I know this is kind of like mundane maybe, but have you seen a lot of ingrown toenails? Uh, yes, I have. I've seen many on myself. I've got one of the worst ingrown toenail stories you'll ever hear. Um, when I was about 13, 12 or 13 years old, I can't remember, I had a, my left big toe had uh, an ingrown toenail. And I was visiting Maryland for the summer, and I didn't really pay much attention to it. It became infected and kind of inflamed, so I'd do the best I could with my dad's um, medical kit to try to drain it out but eventually that toe got so bad that the barb of my toe shot through the outside of my my toe so it was basically shooting towards my second digit and at that point we figured it was a good idea to go in and see the doctor well my dad was in the military so we ended up having to go to an army um, yay (laughs) an army podiatrist and um Walk it off. Right. <laughs> Almost. She took and put a shot of lidocaine in my foot. What they'll do is numb up the foot so that they can then go through and put the scissors underneath your toe and, and cut the toenail in half and then pull it out with a pair of pliers. Oof. Well, she didn't wait for the lidocaine to set in, and she shoved the scissors underneath my toe and cut, and I told her the whole time that I could feel everything. And her answer was basically, just give it a few minutes, it'll, it'll calm down. Right. But uh, at that point, they said it would never grow back again. They put some kind of chemical treatment on there, and yeah. sure enough, two years later, it was back, and I had to go do the same thing. So I, I had the same exact thing, but without the doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I dropped something on my toe. Right. It was very, very heavy, and basically split my, my big toenail right down the middle. It was black and blue for... Three or four weeks, toenail just was, you know, fell off and uh, left with this weird pussy scab of a foot. Right. And uh, yeah. I hope no one's eating while they're listening to this episode. <laughs> I hope they are. And hopefully they just look at the episode title and say, yeah, I'm just going to I'm just going to wait till after dinner. Not mealtime. Right. But yeah, same thing. And uh, basically toenail came off and, you know, a couple months later, 
little, you know, toenails started poking out, and uh, yeah, it's all. It doesn't look uh, like the other one does. Right. But, I mean, most feet are completely, well, not completely different from each other, but it's very rare to find two feet that are exactly the same on, on the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, the one toenails, you can tell there's a bit of a weird overlap in the nail just right. from that major damage or whatever. Sure. So there's something that I get occasionally. Uh, now, I, I've been a vegetarian since I was about uh, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but recently, over the past few years, I've started to introduce a little bit of seafood into my diet. So I've been eating clams and oysters and things like that. And when I, you know, it hits summertime and, you know, I'll go to the Renaissance Festival and I have a few oyster shooters. And if I have a few too many, I will get gout. The gout. The oh, gout. and, you know, and I, I am, from everything that I've read, I am not old enough to get the gout. This is supposed to be, it's a king's disease, though. Yeah, they say it's yeah. the king's disease yeah. because, you know, it's all the rich food and, and right. sometimes beer can call it. Opulence. Beer doesn't do it for me. I can. It's all the opulence. But it, I'm telling, yeah, exactly. But it is oyster. I'm telling you, it's oysters that do it for me. So, but basically, what gout is, it's a form of arthritis where uric acid builds up in your system. And there's a lot of uric acid in seafood, mm-hmm. and especially in oysters. And, and liver. It, and <laughs> that's true. That's true. And it basically builds up. And uh, for, for what reason it builds up in your big toe joint, I do not know. But it is the most, ex- I mean, it's these little crystals. They're basically like needles mm-hmm. inside your big, big, big toe joint. And it becomes swollen and inflamed. And let me tell you, I actually had to cancel, I was performing a show and I had to cancel my glass walking feet because my toe was so swollen and inflamed. In fact, wow. uh, my, my, my partner Darren and I were running around the hardware store and I actually had to sit in a, uh, in a wheelchair while he rolled me around because my t- I couldn't walk around. I could not, that's how bad it was. And they say that when a sheet goes over it just a sheet like you're sleeping with a sheet over you mm-hmm. just the sheet touching you is excruciating and let me tell you it is how, how, do, what do you do for gout i have no clue <laughs> i really don't know your experience is, is more than i've ever heard from yeah gout. really so yeah you don't you've never seen anybody never, for gout nobody's come in no no not i can honestly say that i've never Bubble the ticket that had gout as the main reason for me seeing it. Really? Well, you know, I think probably one of the reasons why is because when you take, you can take anti-inflammatories for it, right. and drinking a lot of water really helps to or flush out all the uric acid. Stop eating oysters and liver. Right. I, I don't eat liver. <laughs> I don't eat liver, but I love oysters, and and that will do it for me. It it really will if I have too many. But right. So I just have to keep my oyster intake, you know, mm-hmm. oyster and clams down a little right, bit. Right. So, but uh, basically drinking a lot of water will flush that uric acid out and uh, and taking anti- anti-inflammatories will, will cause it to go down. And usually within about 24 hours, you can be walking normally again. And that's mm-hmm. probably why I've never seen a gout patient is because yeah. there's nothing I can really do for you. The doctor will nail that right right when you're there seeing yeah. them. Yeah, gotcha. So Jason, I have, a, I have uh, some people that are close to me that have diabetes. I think it's type Wilford Brimley diabetes. Diabetes? Yeah, diabetes. <laughs> so what? What? Uh, what? What can you tell? You know, I gotta say, I stole that joke from Bob Duca, and I apologize, Bob Duca. <laughs> I am so so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And uh, and uh, if you listen to the show, 
you can uh, you can you can you can uh, complain to me later. So tell me what 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 do you do? What what are some of the things that you can see with diabetes with feet? Because I know most diabetics that I know are very scared to cut their foot, get, drop anything on their foot. They're they're so weird about their feet that they don't want to do anything about it. And um, uh, I'm sorry, I don't want to drop the name. She gets a little bit weird when I mention. The diabetes, but don't hold it against her. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, diabetes is one of the most dangerous uh, things that we treat in in the world of pedoorthics. Diabetes basically comes down to whether the patient has diabetic neuropathy or not. If they have diabetic neuropathy, now tell, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Before I, you go on, what is diabetic neuropathy? It's poor peripheral circulation. So the blood flow that you normally would have in a limb isn't necessarily there. And that can also mean decreased sensation or loss of sensation completely. So it's kind of like bed sores. Uh, it, well, it can, bed sores, um, ulcerations would be, um, the risk for them is, is kind of increased whenever you have diabetic neuropathy because mm -hmm. that circulation, the ability to regenerate um, skin and to heal itself isn't there. So it takes a lot longer for a wound to heal in a diabetic patient than it does in a non-diabetic patient. Right. When you're dealing with diabetes and neuropathy in the foot, any kind of callus formation or um, abrasion on the foot can, can be a very severe issue because that regeneration doesn't occur. Mm -hmm. And when it doesn't occur, you're going to look at the foot going through progressive degeneration. So you're looking at an ulceration that can start off as just a small abrasion and turn into actually uh, to the point where you've got an ulceration that you can see uh, bone and soft tissue and all wow. throughout what the foot. Ne necrosis? Necrosis. Uh, so gangrene. You can just start to die right there and, right. and you don't even realize it because you don't have the circulation and you can't feel it? That's right. correct. Right. So some of the horror stories that you hear about it with diabetic um, neuropathy patients is that uh, one particular thing we, 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 we saw in the clinic was we had dispensed a pair of diabetic shoes to a patient. And he went home, and, and I can't remember exactly what reason he returned to the, to the clinic. Um, but upon coming back, he showed us his shoes, and inside of his shoes were his eyeglasses. And he couldn't tell us how long he'd been walking on his eyeglasses, but they were in there. And the whole reason was he didn't feel it. In school, they told a similar case where a guy was in to be fit with diabetic shoes, and they had used a shoehorn to get him on his feet. He came back three or four months later because he noticed his, his socks were bloody, and they took a look inside of his shoe, and the shoehorn was in there. He had been walking on the shoehorn, a metal oh. shoehorn, for three or four months, and they ended up having to amputate his foot because of that. So if you can imagine that your inability to feel a shoehorn or a pair of eyeglasses, that's what you're dealing with with diabetic neuropathy. Wow. So diabetics, check your shoes before you put them on. And, and in England, they actually use, I've seen uh, some documentaries where they use um, medical maggots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. In, in that therapy. Yeah. Because they only so, eat dead flesh. Right. Correct. Because diabetes is so scary and they... they want that tissue to grow back as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. They use that to help aid in that, that healing process. I read a study, I think last year, that the, the success rate with that was, was very promising and that they were, they were really starting to consider it as a, um, an alternative method to, to healing a diabetic ulcer. Right. Um, along with the diabetes, the neuropathy is a, a condition called charco foot or charco foot, uh, which is basically... With the foot, as we talked about earlier, there's 28 bones in the foot. Mm -hmm. The mid-tarsal joints, the, the joints that compromise or comp, comp, compromise this, the mid part of the foot will turn 
basically really into a bag of bones is what they call it. So it'll reverse itself. So instead of having an arch in your foot, it'll turn into a rock or soul foot. So the bones... Like Popeye. Yes, essentially, exactly. Uh, like the when he flexes Why? his muscle, right. Yeah. right. Well, no, I was thinking like the way he walks, he's just like his feet are all just... Never mind. You know what? Just go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Charcot foot, it will be that degeneration where the mid-tarsal joints collapse and... and, and reverse essentially and you end up walking on bones that aren't supposed to be walked on and that can lead to ulcerations and that's one of the main from the inside well no from the outside because you're you've turned yourself into a rocker foot the the central part of your arch is now touching it's the point that's making the most contact so if you're going to see um, an ulceration begin it's usually right in that that area mm -hmm. what they do to combat that or what we do to combat that is to do either a total contact cast or what they call a crow walker, which is a lot like a Frankenstein boot. It's huh. basically a custom-made plastic boot with a full contact insole that will help to offload the pressure from that Charcot foot. And if you catch it in the early enough stages, it's a reversible process, but if it sits fixed for long enough, it'll be completely irreversible mm -hmm. and usually lead to amputation. Wow. So yeah, wow. that's one of those weird ones. That's when you see uh, somebody with the gigantic boot that they have. Is that when, right. when their foot gets huge too? Or? Yeah, when we're, we're talking about something different than just your standard walking boot for like an ankle fracture. This would be a big, thick plastic boot that looks like it just came out of a horror movie. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. moon boot. Right, exactly. Yeah. Elvis foot? <laughs> what? Elvis foot, man. Elvis foot? Oh, here we go, man. What is Elvis it? foot? Oh, no. What is Elvis foot? Elvis foot or disco knee? <laughs> Disco knee? Disco knee or Elvis foot? I, is that a, is that a, is that slang? Yes. Because no, no, really. Because yes. because people that people that have you know one of those eyes that kind of wanders, <laughs> you're not supposed to call it disco eye. They don't like that. Is disco knee the same kind Listen, of thing? Okay. It is a slang term used by mountain climbers, uh -huh. um, and I first heard it uh, in Austin when I was uh, doing some uh, rock wall climbing. Hanging out with somebody with a club foot? <laughs> On a rock wall? <laughs> <laughs> but what it is, is you're, you know, you're on a rock face, and you've been climbing for several hours, and if you're not, if your muscles and your legs and your feet are not, you know, adapted to doing that for long periods of time, the muscles will actually start to shake. Oh, okay. I know exactly what you're talking about. But yeah, yeah the slang term for, for climbers is Elvis foot. I've Elvis. heard it. Elvis foot, man. I, on, I've, here I, we go. <laughs> I've actually heard it be, uh, I've heard it called sewing machine leg. That's what That's I've heard it called. too long. Elvis foot's better. That, like, I do like Elvis foot. Yeah. But it's, 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 that, Elvis foot, it's that when you, you have your foot in that raised position and it does Ra the shaking. Yeah, raised yeah. to the side, stuck in a crevice, you know, hanging off the side of a, a rock it's with that, one toe. It's that, what's the call? It's the static pressure when, right. you, when you're holding it there right. and it creates that, that shaking motion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get. Yeah, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I've yeah. had that problem right, whenever so. I climb rock walls. <laughs> you don't climb rock walls. <laughs> <laughs> Rock walls climb you. So I, I know we didn't really talk a whole lot about fractures and stuff like mm -hmm. that, but you know it's really more about abnormalities is kind of what we're trying to focus on. So sure. But uh, I guess really, I, I to me, I say I try to save the best for last here, mm -hmm. and uh, that is uh, polydactyly. Too many toes, correct? Too many toes. Right. Too many toes. Having multiple toes. 
so it's actually polydactyly is actually having too many toes or too many fingers, uh, mm -hmm. but it's also known as the supernumerary fingers or toes. Yep. So, um, but then, then there's also the flip side of that, which is, good lord, I'm gonna have a hard time saying this, <laughs> oligostactory, which is having fewer than than usual fingers or toes okay so have you seen any of these mm -hmm. yeah unfortunately the one i saw was the the too few and it was on a i believe like a three two or three year old boy and it wasn't just that he was missing toes he had i think seven total bones in his foot so wow, wow. it was really sad the kid didn't talk or anything but to see that and a kid that young and to look at the x-ray and know that basically there's nothing they can do for him his whole life is going to be spent with the inability to really do much of what the other kids around him are doing. That's right, right. that's one of the worst stories I've got. Yeah. Well, that was kind of a, kind of a downer. Yeah, right? I was Here thinking that it would be kind of cool. Maybe we talk about people with like lots of fingers and toes. and they We'll, we'll can... go into this. All right, go ahead. Butterflies, they can taste with their feet. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Elephants, they can hear with their feet. Oh, like because like uh, they, like um, use... like uh, like a daredevil. Yeah, they use super low frequency. Oh, uh, oh yeah. And yeah. it travels for miles and miles and miles. And the pads of their, their big giant feet act as, as almost, you know, resonators on the ground. Mm -hmm. so they can actually hear with them. That is awesome. Um, squirrels and dogs, they sweat through their feet. Oh, really? We well, sweat through I, our I, feet. Yeah, I yeah. sweat through We yeah. sweat about a half a pint a day through our feet. Yes, we do. Yeah. Really? <laughs> But I mean, they, they what, the, the squirrels the pads, and dogs only sweat through their feet. No, no, there's, right? there's other things. They're just the, the most common ones I could think of. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the pads in their feet, they actually will produce moisture. Mm -hmm. So, like people, you know, say the, the dogs are, you know, the panting and everything. Mm -hmm. That's part of the cooling process. And squirrels do the same thing. It's hard to see because they're usually running around with, you know, nuts in their mouth. But yeah, they're, they're running around. It's hard to see them panting. Uh, but yeah, they actually. Secrete moisture, sweat through the pads of their feet. Yeah. So is that better than uh, than than Jason's bummer? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that was a little better. Honor. Yeah, thank you very much. That was pretty bad. Sorry. So we're actually going to uh, do an examination of my feet. We are going to add a a video compliment to mm -hmm. this and we're going to put it up on YouTube uh, and you can find that through the link through www.thecurioso.com. Uh, this is uh, my good buddy Jason over here. He is a certified pet orthist and I am uh, certifiably have two feet. So we're going to uh, we're going to uh, work this out here. There's those. There's some uh, there's uh, some socks. So, uh, there, oh, wait, hold on. No, you got it. Okay. All right. So there are my feet right there. There you go. Mmm. So, like hobbit feet. Oh, come on. They're not that hairy. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Jason, what do I have to do? Well, roll your pant legs up. Okay. We'll do that. Don't have to go up real high. Just about mid-calf. All right. Just kind of like rockabilly style. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rockabilly okay. style. Exactly. Now... We're going to need you to stand up. Okay. I can do that. Maybe a little bit higher on those rockabillies, Chris. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. They're capris now. Okay. Fantastic. Now, relax your, your, your feet as much as you would. Don't look down at them. Just kind of stand like your, like your normal stance. All right. All right. I'm good. While you're, while you're doing that and taking a look, what do you think about reflexology? The fact that some people think that you can 
have uh, acupuncture points on the feet and they mm -hmm. relax other parts of your body? I believe in it. I, I certainly believe in it. Do you? Do you think it's mystical? Because some people do. I would think it's kind of mis a mystical. A little mystical? Just sure. feet mystical. Sure. A little bit. Not a really. A little? All right. All right, Chris. Let me have you turn around. Face this wall. Face the wall. Okay. Mm -hmm. Am I, am, I, am I in a timeout here? Or? No, mm -hmm. what we're looking for is what they call your calcaneal inclination, which is the heel bone, and whether it sits everts, inverts, or sits straight neutral. And that'll tell you a lot about what's going on in the rear foot. In your case, just slightly everted, at least on that left foot. And same thing on, well, the left foot. My other left foot. Your other left foot, okay. Go ahead and have a seat in that chair for me. Okay. We're going to do a range of motion check on your feet here. So I'll need you to just hold your right foot out and let it relax as much as you can for me. As much as you can. Now I'm going to put distal traction so you'll feel me kind of pull down on your leg here. You know, I've had people tell me most of my entire life that I have duck feet. Mm -hmm. That I walk like a duck. And uh, I mean, I, I can see it. I can definitely feel that. But you know, if it walks like a duck, at least I don't talk like a duck. That's true. Unfortunately, in your case, Chris, you have a really restricted foot. Your range of motion just isn't quite there. Let me have you. Okay, now bend your knee. Now we're going to check your metatarsal heads, make sure they're all in proper alignment. You can see you've got a little bit of a pinch callus here, Chris. Mm -hmm. Right there on the uh, distal end of your first metatarsal. See, I thought everybody had that. No, no. That's common in duck feet. Really? <laughs> <laughs> your heel eversion, inversion and eversion are pretty restricted. Your first metatarsal is restricted. Pronation is close to being there. Supination, not quite. Let's check that left foot. Same thing. Uh, I, pro I apologize that I didn't bring the Febreze with me. <laughs> but, uh... I'm immune to it, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Well, if you're going to do it, do it do it right, Chris. You're symmetrical in your range of motion. So both of my feet are duck feet. Both of your feet are duck feet. You, in my opinion, have a um, what we call a cavus arch, what we were talking about earlier, a high instep. Mm -hmm. So um, you're going to tend to bear a lot of your weight on the lateral aspect of your foot. In your case, you're trying to compensate for some of that pressure by everting the foot, rolling outward, mm -hmm. um, or abducting the foot and rolling outward. And then, of course, because you have those duck feet, you're going to roll off the inside of that big toe, so you got the same pinch callus here on the opposite side. Now, what's causing the restriction is the question, whether it's bone or um, soft tissue restriction. Usually, if the end range of motion is, is pretty stiff, like you're hitting a brick, that means it's bone. If it's more spongy, then that usually means that it's ligamentous or muscular. My guess in your case is that it's a little bit spongy. We're probably just dealing with some tight, tight muscle groups somewhere along the line. Now that's, so I could probably correct it by walking properly? Well, the correct thing to do would be to go see an orthopedic physician and try to find if they can give you some x-rays and determine whether there's bony restrictions, possible mm -hmm. arthritis in your foot, um, or if it's not showing up on the x-rays, to have the MRI done and that would show any muscle or tendon issues. Um, Keep in mind that strictly a guess, Chris, I can't diagnose. It's not in my professional sphere to diagnose. So that's why I refer you to a, a, a medical doctor um, for that diagnosis. 
I would be concerned about your feet in that if they're not able to absorb shock like we were talking about earlier, you're probably going to end up with some arthritis somewhere along the line. And that is. And I already have gout, so I have a type of arthritis you've got already. A type of arthritis. So gout in your case is probably one of the worst things because that first metatarsal doesn't have the joint that we want, or have the range of motion that we want in the joint. It's that gout on top of that, now it's twofold. So mm -hmm. that's not good. But that's my professional opinion. Well, I appreciate it. Sir. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much. No problem. <laughs> that's my feet. <laughs> right there. Duck feet. <laughs> yeah, Chris. I don't know, man. I do have a broken toe I was going to ask you about. But, oh, you uh, do? Yeah, but I, I totally f forgot Which about one? it. I think uh, the the index toe on my right foot. That's the one that feels like it's floating sometimes. I broke it and never fixed it. I just kind of tied it to the foot your next to it. first toe? Yeah, this one. Oh, your second toe. Yeah, yeah, I broke it, I think, like right here. Mm -hmm. And um, now you can see a little bit of that um, it's a mallet toe, Chris. Oh, with that one? A little bit. You see you're starting to get that pull upward. Yeah, yeah. With uh, the, the next one? Mm-hmm. See how you're yeah. just starting to get right here at the... Um, proximal interphalangeal joint you're starting mm -hmm. to get a little bit of an upward thrust okay so it's the beginning of one you know i can uh pick things up with my toes mm -hmm. very very well Crab toe. oh yeah, yeah yeah in fact i can make bruises happen i'm just saying yeah. that's just uh, one <laughs> of my special happen. talents yeah let me I see actually your shoes can. real quick Chris. sure how long have you had them these uh shoes i've had for about maybe four months or something like that four months okay yeah no real appreciable wear, but you can kind of get a map for how people walk based off of their shoes. It's hard to see with all the skulls and bones on them. <laughs> <laughs> Normal line of progression is your heel strike just, just to the outside of your heel bone, and then you should see the weight kind of progress up the lateral aspect until you get to the ball of the foot, at which case you kind of roll over and then press off on the front of your foot, mm -hmm. or the front of the big toe there. And your line of progression doesn't look too bad, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of wear up here on that interior side of, of the shoe from you kind of rolling off the inside. But I'd have to see maybe another pair of shoes that you wear a little bit more frequently for that. Yeah, yeah. I usually only wear these shoes during shows and things like that. Right. So I don't wear them that, that often. Mm -hmm. The other thing we do in pedorthics is a lot of shoe modifications. So we'll do um, all kinds of stuff, whether it's to cut the sole off of a shoe and wedge it, add a lift for leg length discrepancy. If you got a real big bunion here, we'll take and use a ball and ring stretcher and heat up the shoe and push that out. Mm -hmm. You can do what they call a bubble patch for a real bad uh, claw toe. If that's sticking up and pushing against the top of the shoe, you can cut out a hole, glue foam to it, heat that foam up, and then push up, and essentially it becomes part of the shoe. So and has a space for, right. the, for the shoe. So there's no friction on it. Mm -hmm. um, you it has a little umbrella on it. Right, exactly. It's kind mm -hmm. of a weird-looking modification. You can do an um, internal excavation of a shoe if you've got a real bad um, plantar flex metatarsal head where it's sitting down below the rest of them. You can take a Dremel tool and cut out the shoe, and then that's got a pocket to sit down into. You can use Dremels for anything, apparently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the good thing about my job is it's a good mix of medicine and engineering. So we yeah. get to do, um, whether it's material selection, um, modifications we get to play around with a lot of tools so that's that's one of the fun things about my job give your little give give you my my horror story yeah your little vomitorium story all right so in six years of my job 
six years of doing my job. I've seen quite a few feet, and it's, I would think, like a maternity nurse where you see it so often that it doesn't bother you so much anymore. But there was one time in that six years where I really wanted to, to vomit, and that was um, we had a patient that was homeless. And the only reason I bring up that he was homeless is to let you know that his, his um, hygiene wasn't as good as, as what it should have been for his case because he had a... Um, I think it was a bimalleolar fracture, which is basically a, a fracture of your tibia and your fibula, um, which required a surgery and then um, a mobilization and a cast, and then um, after that into a boot, a walking boot, right. which we would put on. Um, he had spent about four or five weeks in the boot and didn't really take it off a whole lot to shower or to bathe. And it's normal to see a little bit of dead skin or some flaking of a skin when you're coming out of a cast or a walking boot for a long amount of time. Right. With this particular patient, what, what really set me off was that when he took his boot off, the, the flakes of skin weren't just small flakes of skin. Think about an oversized <laughs> Kellogg's cornflake. And the stench to go along with the, the, the broken skin or the, the, uh, the dead skin, it, the skin had basically, he had sweated so much inside of the boot that the broken down um, Kellogg cornflakes were stuck to the inside liner of the, sh of the boot. And then to go along with that, there was some, um, some issues with toe fungus and foot fungus and um, so all that combined. All that combined. Oh. And you got to be right down in it. Um, you know, we did we did take care of the guy, but that was the one time that I really felt like I was uh, needed to take a quick five minutes. <laughs> that's my worst story. That's a two pair of gloves day. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a double, glove. Yeah. double glove. <laughs> that's when you go in the back and grab your uh, respirator mask. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh no, I wear this for every patient. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel bad. <laughs> your lack of faith is disturbing. <laughs> Your feet. <laughs> it's just standard protocol. Right. I'm you. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. Well, curiosos, uh, that uh, is a uh, feat. We want to thank uh, Jason for coming out. I really, really appreciate it, thank sir. Thank you, guys. And uh, this over here is who's holding the camera is Joe. Say hello, Joe. You don't want to do your feet while we're at it? No, I'm good. No? <laughs> Spend enough time on feet and mine are all mangled up anyway. So I yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it because you do all the foot binding? Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, that's pretty, it. Pretty lady. <laughs> well, that's it. Uh, we're out of here. The Curioso. Hey, is there any topics that you want us to cover? Anything that you want to talk to us about or let us know about? Email us, feedback at thecurioso.com. Our Facebook, facebook.com backslash thecuriosopodcast. We tweet at curiosopodcast. And if you have any five-star reviews you'd like to give us on iTunes, please feel free. some gloves.
<laughs> <laughs> Did I go get some? We, I can get We've some. Got you gloves? got gloves? Yeah, yeah. Got gloves. Oh, sweet.